Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio.
Amazing love. 
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
Let's walk and not faint. 
listening to Songs of Praise.
Does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his as good that may be Christ Jesus it is he Lord Sabbath is made from age to age the same and he must win the battle to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath will His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can and kindred go this mortal life also the body they make kill God's truth abideth still His kingdom is forever His kingdom trumpet on the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there when the roll when the roll is called up yonder I'll be there when the roll when the roll is called up yonder I'll be there up yonder when the roll 
is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and glorious morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Savor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross He suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh sing, oh, sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer, with His blood He purchased me, on the cross He sealed my pardon, paid the debt and made me free. I will tell the wondrous story, how my lost estate to save. In his boundless love and mercy, he the ransom freely gave. Sing, oh, sing, oh, sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer, my Redeemer with his blood. Purchase blood, he purchased me. On the cross, he sealed my pardon. He sealed my pardon. Paid the debt and made me free. I will sing of my Redeemer and his heavenly love to me. He from death to life hath brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, oh sing, oh sing, oh sing of my Redeemer. With his blood, he purchased me. On the cross, he sealed my pardon. Paid the debt and made me free. Paid the debt and made me free and made me free. You're listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. We pray for peace and plead for grace. We bow our knees in humbleness. We cry to God to heal our land. 
Calvary. 
Jesus is very near. Cast your care on Jesus today. Leave your worry and fear. Oh, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary, Calvary, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near, he's near, troubled soul, the Savior can see.
When I was just a child, I would go to Sunday school. The teacher there would say to me that I could be God's tool. She said I could be a servant to complete his perfect will. He had a job in mind for me that only I could fill. I had a good foundation. I had Jesus in my heart, but couldn't seem to Jesus, the
You've been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, Talents, the Talent of Time. Upon the right improvement of our time depends our success in acquiring knowledge and mental culture. The cultivation of the intellect need not be prevented by poverty, humble origin or unfavourable surroundings. Only let the moments be treasured. A few moments here and a few there that might be frittered away in aimless talk, the morning hours so often wasted in bed, the time spent in travelling on trams or railway cars, or waiting at the station, the moments of waiting for meals, waiting for those who are tardy in keeping an appointment. If a book were kept at hand, and these fragments of time were improved in study, reading or careful thought, what might not be accomplished? A resolute purpose, persistent industry and careful economy of time will enable men to acquire knowledge and mental discipline which will qualify them for almost any position of influence and usefulness. It is the duty of every Christian to acquire habits of order, thoroughness and dispatch. There is no excuse for slow bungling at work of any character. When one is always at work and the work is never done, it is because mind and heart are not put into the labour. The one who is slow and who works at a disadvantage should realise that these are faults to be corrected. He needs to exercise his mind in planning how to use the time so as to secure the best results. By tact and method, some will accomplish as much in five hours as others do in ten. Some who are engaged in domestic labour are always at work not because they have so much to do, but because they do not plan so as to save time. By their slow, dilatory ways, they make much work out of very little. But all who will may overcome these fussy, lingering habits. In their work, let them have a definite aim. Decide how long a time is required for a given task, and then bend every effort toward accomplishing the work in the given time. The exercise of the willpower will make the hands move deftly. Through lack of determination to take themselves in hand and reform, persons can become stereotyped in a wrong course of action, or by cultivating their powers, they may acquire ability to do the very best of service. Then they will find themselves in demand anywhere and everywhere. They will be appreciated for all that they are worth. By many children and youth, time is wasted that might be spent in carrying home burdens, and thus showing a loving interest in father and mother. The youth might take upon their strong young shoulders many responsibilities which someone must bear. The life of Christ from his earliest years was a life of earnest activity. He lived not to please himself. He was the son of the infinite God, yet he worked at the carpenter's trade with his father Joseph. 
His trade was significant. He had come into the world as the character builder, and as such all his work was perfect. Into all his secular labour, he brought the same perfection as into the characters he was transforming by his divine power. He is our pattern. Parents should teach their children the value and right use of time. Teach them that to do something which will honour God and bless humanity is worth striving for. Even in their very early years, they can be missionaries for God. Parents cannot commit a greater sin than to allow their children to have nothing to do. The children soon learn to love idleness, and they grow up shiftless, useless men and women. When they're old enough to earn their living and find employment, they work in a lazy, droning way, yet expect to be paid as much as if they were faithful. There is a worldwide difference between this class of workers and those who realize that they must be faithful stewards. Indolent, careless habits indulged in secular work will be brought into the religious life and will unfit one to do any efficient service for God. Many who through diligent labor might have been a blessing to the world have been ruined through idleness. Lack of employment and of steadfast purpose opens the door to a thousand temptations. Evil companions and vicious habits deprave mind and soul, and the result is ruin for this life and for the life to come. Whatever the line of work in which we engage, the Word of God teaches us to be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Those quotes are from Romans 12.11, Ecclesiastes 9.10, and Colossians 3.24. Health. Health is a blessing of which few appreciate the value. Yet upon it the efficiency of our mental and physical powers largely depends. Our impulses and passions have their seat in the body, and it must be kept in the best condition physically and under the most spiritual influences in order that our talents may be put to the highest use. Anything that lessens physical strength enfeebles the mind and makes it less capable of discriminating between right and wrong. We become less capable of choosing the good and have less strength of will to do that which we know to be right. The misuse of our physical powers shortens the period of time in which our lives can be used for the glory of God, and it unfits us to accomplish the work God has given us to do. By allowing ourselves to form wrong habits, by keeping late hours, by gratifying appetite at the expense of health, we lay the foundation for feebleness. By neglecting physical exercise, by overworking mind or body, we unbalance the nervous system. Those who thus shorten their lives and unfit themselves for service by disregarding nature's laws are guilty of robbery toward God, and they are robbing their fellow men also. The opportunity of blessing others, the very work for which God sent them into the world, has by their own course of action been cut short, and they have unfitted themselves to do even that which in a brief period of time they might have accomplished. The Lord holds us guilty when by our injurious habits we thus deprive the world of good. Transgression of physical law is transgression of the moral law. For God is as truly the author of physical laws as he is the author of the moral law. His law 
is written with his own finger upon every nerve, every muscle, every faculty which has been entrusted to man. And every misuse of any part of our organism is a violation of that law. All should have an intelligent knowledge of the human frame that they may keep their bodies in the condition necessary to do the work of the Lord. The physical life is to be carefully preserved and developed that through humanity the divine nature may be revealed in its fullness. The relation of the physical organism to the spiritual life is one of the most important branches of education. It should receive careful attention in the home and in the school. All need to become acquainted with their physical structure and the laws that control natural life. He who remains in willing ignorance of the laws of his physical being and who violates them through ignorance is sinning against God. All should place themselves in the best possible relation to life and health. Our habits should be brought under the control of a mind that is itself under the control of God. Know ye not, says the Apostle Paul, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Strength. We are to love God, not only with all the heart, mind, and soul, but with all the strength. This covers the full intelligent use of the physical powers. Christ was a true worker in temporal as well as in spiritual things, and into all his work he brought a determination to do his Father's will. The things of heaven and earth are more closely connected and are more directly under the supervision of Christ than many realize. It was Christ who planned the arrangement of the first earthly tabernacle. He gave every specification in regard to the building of Solomon's temple. The one who in his earthly life worked as a carpenter in the village of Nazareth was the heavenly architect who marked out the plan for the sacred building where his name was to be honored. It was Christ who gave to the builders of the tabernacle wisdom to execute the most skillful and beautiful workmanship. He said, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. Exodus 31, verses 2 to 6. God desires that his workers in every line shall look to him as the giver of all they possess. All right inventions and improvements have their source in him who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. The skillful touch of the physician's hand, his power over nerve and muscle, his knowledge of the delicate organism of the body is the wisdom of divine power to be used in behalf of the suffering. The skill with which the carpenter uses the hammer, the strength with which the blacksmith makes the anvil ring, comes from God. He has entrusted men with talents, and he expects them to look to him for counsel. Whatever we do, in whatever department of the work we are placed, he desires to control our minds that we may do perfect work. Religion and business are not two separate things. They are one. Bible religion 
is to be interwoven with all we do or say. Divine and human agencies are to combine in temporal as well as in spiritual achievements. They are to be united in all human pursuits, in mechanical and agricultural labours, in mercantile and scientific enterprises. There must be cooperation in everything embraced in Christian activity. God has proclaimed the principles on which alone this cooperation is possible. His glory must be the motive of all who are labourers together with Him. All our work is to be done from love to God and in accordance with His will. It is just as essential to do the will of God when erecting a building as when taking part in a religious service. And if the workers have brought the right principles into their own character-making, then in the erection of every building they will grow in grace and knowledge. But God will not accept the greatest talents or the most splendid service unless self is laid upon the altar, a living, consuming sacrifice. The root must be holy, else there can be no fruit acceptable to God. The Lord made Daniel and Joseph shrewd managers. He could work through them because they did not live to please their own inclination, but to please God. The case of Daniel has a lesson for us. It reveals the fact that a businessman is not necessarily a sharp policy man. He can be instructed by God at every step. Daniel, while prime minister of the kingdom of Babylon, was a prophet of God receiving the light of heavenly inspiration. Well, the ambitious statesmen are represented in the word of God as the grass that groweth up and as the flower of the grass that fadeth. Yet the Lord desires to have in his service intelligent men, men qualified for various lines of work. There is need of businessmen who will weave the grand principles of truth into all their transactions. And their talents should be perfected by most thorough study and training. If men in any line of work need to improve their opportunities to become wise and efficient, it is those who are using their ability in building up the kingdom of God in our world. Of Daniel we learn that in all his business transactions, when subjected to the closest scrutiny, not one fault or error could be found. He was a sample of what every businessman may be. His history shows what may be accomplished by one who consecrates the strength of brain and bone and muscle, of heart and life, to the service of God. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. In 1620, a boat laden with 130 passengers set sail for the New World, a frontier that had been breached by only a few other Europeans and would eventually come to be known as the United States of America. They would land on the East Coast in Cape Cod before finally settling in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Their journey, however, begins in a small English village.
Scrooby lies in Nottinghamshire. And whilst it appears calm and humble, the residents who came from this village over 380 years ago were firm in belief and strong in conviction. The principal members of the Scrooby separatists were Clifton as pastor, Robinson as teacher, and Brewster as ruling elder. 30 residents left Scrooby and headed for the Netherlands where they joined John Smith, who had previously left England with another group of separatists, though this would not be their permanent home. Further meetings would take place and those in Holland decided that they would head to the Americas. On the English side of the channel, there were people who were unhappy with the religious restrictions being imposed by the church and they also decided that England was ceasing to be a habitable place. The Mayflower set sail from this exact spot here on the Thames in Rotherhite, South London. Above me, the Mayflower pub marks this spot where 53 people set sail for America. Its sister ship, the Speedwell, left from the Netherlands, but when it was 200 miles off the coast of Cornwall, it had to turn back because it had developed a leak. Those on board the Speedwell then disembarked and got on board the Mayflower, swelling its numbers from 53 to 130. 43 of those people on the Mayflower were separatists, Puritans who did not believe in the union of church and state and were unhappy at how the Anglican church was treating those who disagreed with her. Those on board had to put up with cramped living conditions, food shortages, little fresh meat, little water, severe seasickness and violent storms, making it an incredibly arduous journey. They finally sighted land on the 9th of November, 1620 in Cape Cod and would eventually anchor in Provincetown on the 21st of November. Of those who made the journey, over half would die that first winter due to the harsh weather, illness, and the poor diet available to them. Little did these people realize the impact that this journey would have on history and the legacy that they would leave, that in just 150 years, the land that they arrived in would fight and win its independence, and just 200 years past its independence would rank as the most powerful nation in the world. For those on board the ship, I'm sure their actions did not seem so heroic and brave, but history remembers them well. Never underestimate the impact that your life can have on future successive generations. The decisions that you make, the sacrifices you endure, and the principles that you live by can have a profound impact on your children and it can have a profound impact on the successive generations of young people that come after you. Our life that we live, however small they may seem, can have an impact that will be reflected only in eternity. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.